This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about what to eat when you're just thinking about changes you could make to help you get pregnant, because it can be a total nightmare and you start looking online and you start reading what you should and shouldn't eat and just get really overwhelmed. And this is something that we've talked about in the past with different fertility nutritionists talking about common mistakes we make with our food, what's good for sperm health and why it's really worth thinking about all this because it can have a long-term impact on your family's future. So do check out the show notes for more episodes that you can listen to because for now we're bringing you the most up-to-date chat on how we are eating. And Kate, how often would you say the food conversation comes up in the conversations that you have with your clients? Every single time. There's not one consultation that I don't do about fertility that we don't talk about diet and nutrition. And that's because it's so important. You know, I think we underestimate the impact of what we put into our bodies for the positive and the negative. And it's so important. So things like I always talk about the need to have good protein in your diet to support good egg and sperm development. So vitally important. And also for PCOS, you know, so important to have low sugar and low refined carbohydrate diet. So it weaves into every single consultation I do. All righty. Well, we will catch up with our guest today in just a moment. We're really pleased to be working with Bioglan on the Fertility Podcast. Bioglan's red krill oil is a pure source of omega-3, which supports heart, brain and eye health. And it also contains sustainable sourced krill oil from the Antarctic Ocean, which I've been learning a lot about. It's also quicker for our bodies to absorb, much more so than normal fish oil, so we get the health benefit faster. And the good news is there's no fishy aftertaste or reflux. Now, I take these little red pills daily and they really are super small and easy to swallow. And what are the benefits of omega-3 when it comes to fertility, Kate? Well, that's a really interesting question. There are some studies to show that omega-3 can improve in sperm quality, actually, which is really interesting. Uh, There are actually a few randomized control trials and those are our gold standards. So those are the really the research studies that you really need to be looking at. And they show that there is this improvement. With regards to egg health, there are studies, but they're low of lower quality. But it, it does show that there are potentially some improvements in egg health. But I think when it comes to egg health, we still need to do more studies to fully understand the benefits. So in terms of what you're going to take when you are looking to optimise your fertility as much as possible, omega-3? Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it to my patients, to both male and female. Why not? So if you want to discover the Biogland difference, it's available to purchase now at Holland and Barrett, Amazon and Tesco. So we're now going to welcome Ro Huntress to the podcast. Ro's a registered dietitian who specialises in fertility nutrition. She's got a brilliant Instagram account that's so informative and uh, we'll definitely make sure all her details are in the show notes because she puts some really great information there. She's also the founder of the Food and Fuel for Fertility, which is an online course. But we're going to be picking her brains to uh, get more insight into things that you can do. So welcome, Ro, to the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. It's really nice to be here. Thank you guys for having me. We're really pleased to have you because (laughs) 
as you know, Ro, you and I are great colleagues anyway. And Natalie was just asking off air how we two know each other. So I'll explain a little bit about that. So I found you, I think on Instagram. And the reason I came across you on Instagram is your great infographics, which you know I love. And thought, oh, this is really interesting because this person is a, is a fertility dietitian as opposed to a fertility nutritionist. And that really interested me from the start because I thought this is something really different. Can you explain to everyone listening what's the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? Yeah, absolutely. So um, both dietitians and nutritionists can can work in fertility. And the difference is, so all dietitians uh, to practice in the UK, we have to be registered. So we're bound by, you know, a code of conduct, and we have to, you know, adhere to certain things to maintain our registration. But in terms of our training, we we have clinical placements, and these are often um, in hospitals in the community. But we're, we're kind of trained to support people with medical conditions as well. So whereas nutritionists don't tend to deal with people with with more complex, say, medical comorbidities, for example, dietitians are able to do that more so. And and, and that's kind of like in line with their scope of practice. And I think, you know, in, in terms of nutritionists, dietitians and nutritionists can both be really, really helpful to people who are looking to improve their fertility. I would just say in terms of nutritionists, do look for those who are registered because there is now, you know, a register for, for nutritionists to be associated with. And I think that's um, it's a really good indication in terms of credibility. Mm, yeah, I agree. We'll put a link to that because I think that's a really good bit of advice. People always get a bit overwhelmed when they're trying to seek advice about eating. And you talk about nutrition being one piece of the puzzle. So uh, alongside looking at for people to be on that register, what else would you say is the best starting point for people that are trying to conceive? So I think, yeah, absolutely that nutrition is one one part of the puzzle. We know that fertility management, it's a matrix, isn't it? There's so <laughs> many different things that feed into it, you know, our our nutrition, our activity, our lifestyle, our physical and, and reproductive health. And, and nutrition is, is one of those elements. But I think people are starting to understand more and more the power of nutrition. And I, you know, I just absolutely love working in this area because it can resolve so many issues. And I would say in terms of a starting point, because everybody's different, this kind of needs to be quite an individualized answer. And when anybody goes onto the internet, you know, they just think, you know, where do I start? There's just so much. So I think a really, really good place is just looking at you, looking at your diet and having a reflect, having a think about the changes that you need to make. Because the thing is, with a lot of fertility nutrition, a lot of it is based along the lines of, you know, healthy eating principles anyway. So if you feel that you need to make a change to make your diet healthier, that's probably likely to enhance your chances when it comes to fertility as well. So a good starting point for everybody really can be a food diary because we have an idea of what we eat. And when we think about it in our minds, we might think pick our best day. Um, yeah. But when, when we look at it over the week to look at, you know, meals, snacks, drinks, alcohol, other things like that, it can give us a really clear picture. And before even going to see anybody like a nutritionist or a dietitian, you can start to make those changes yourself. So I would say that would probably be the best starting point. 
I know whenever I've tracked anything on any of like I, I go through kind of stages of, of tracking the food when you're trying to, you know, monitor it a bit better. And there's so much that you forget when oh. you're not tracking it. Oh, that biscuit just fell in my mouth. Exactly. And also you almost like play games with yourself, don't you? And think, no, I really didn't have that biscuit. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so Ro, when it comes to egg health, which is a question, you know, I know I get asked a lot and I'm sure you do too. And we know that it can take about three months for the egg to mature before ovulation. What can people do to enhance egg health when it comes to nutrition? Yeah, great question. And I think a really important one. And the figure that you speak about there in terms of that kind of like that 90, 100 day window, I think it's really valuable for people to know that and to understand that. And it's not just a number that's, you know, plucked out of thin air. There's, there's real justification for it. As I said before, you know, nutrition is so powerful. And the choices that we make each day, each week, it all has an effect. So thinking about that whole time period is, is really important. And it's not that we need to have the perfect diet every single day, you know, for 100 days. But it's just, you know, that overall really, um, you know, healthy approach. So in terms of uh, some of the nutrients to, to pay attention to, I suppose a good one to start with would be vitamin B9. So that is folate. So folate that we find in foods, but also in terms of supplementation, everybody trying to conceive or women trying to conceive should be taking a folic acid supplement also. And these, you know, they have uh, very, very similar roles. And I suppose what it's known for best is, is neurotube defect prevention. However, there's so much more to the role of, of, of folate <laughs> and folic is. acid as well. So, you know, it really assists that that whole journey throughout that that hundred days. And it's it's really involved in the in the development and the maturation of the egg. And it's been linked to improved quality. And also it's thought that it has an improved environment for for the developing eggs as well. So really important to be having food-based sources of folate in addition to the folic acid supplement as well. In terms of sources of folate, so think like if you think of green veg, there's a lot of green veg and green leafy veg that, that contain folate. So, so that's all, you know, always a, a good place to start. Um, another one, another nutrient that's been linked with improved egg quality is omega-3. So there's different forms of omega-3, but the, one, the ones that we're particularly interested in are, I'll, I'll go for the shorter names and not the long names, but <laughs> EPA and DHA. And we find those either um, in oily fish, or if you don't have uh, fish, it would be a good idea to have um, a, a supplement uh, instead. And then, you know, a big part is, is antioxidants. So antioxidants basically help to protect the cell and protect the the, the, the egg cells against, you know, oxidative damage, and that can have an impact on overall egg quality. So when we talk about antioxidants, you know, people think about fruit and veg, um, absolutely, but we also get them from whole grains, nuts, seeds, we can all we can even find some, um, some in, in meat as well. So it, it is really, you know, generally about having that that well-balanced Mediterranean-style diet, but picking out those specific elements that we know to be really helpful in this sort of 100-day period. Great. And I know we just mentioned that in relation to egg health, but am I fair to say that that's all pretty relevant for sperm health too? So in terms of the Mediterranean diet, yes, absolutely. And antioxidants 
are yeah are particularly useful when it comes to uh, when it comes to many of the different sperm parameters. The antioxidants that seem to have you know the, the most attention really are uh, vitamin C, vitamin E, zinc, selenium, um, and, and folate. Folate is an antioxidant as well. So so yes, absolutely for men too. I know that we're kind of extracting all this information. And if you're listening, you're thinking, whoa, scribbling notes, but we will make sure there's lots of links in the show notes. I'm I'm curious as well, when it comes to people who might be on a more restrictive diet, especially in terms of their fertility, for example, gluten and fertility. And I know that you've talked about this, things like undiagnosed celiac disease and infertility and and how a gluten-free diet can be managed. But also, I know you've talked about it being almost helpful for conditions like endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome as well? Okay, so yeah, gluten is a, is a common one that comes up. So so for the general population, we, we don't advise a gluten-free diet to support uh, fertility because there, there isn't the evidence to do so. I'm so pleased you said that, Ro, because the amount of people that I think think that they should be going gluten-free, and I'm exactly yes. the same as you, I'm like... No, 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 please don't. It's a really important part of your diet. It needs to be included. Yeah. And, and I think I think the risk is when we take gluten out unnecessarily, because we can find gluten in a lot of whole grains. And we know that whole grains are, are really important in the overall fertility diet. So we don't want to take it out without reason. So the link with celiac disease, this isn't going to affect, you know, a lot of people. It might affect a minority. But celiac disease, it's a, it's a condition whereby, in essence, our body can't really tolerate the, the protein that is that is gluten. So the, the treatment for that is an, is an exclusive gluten-free diet. And if those people don't follow a gluten-free diet, what it can mean is that they have issues with absorption of certain nutrients. And a lot of those nutrients can be important in fertility. So where the issue can come is if some people have celiac disease, but they haven't been diagnosed with it, they don't know that they have to follow a gluten-free diet and therefore they're not absorbing these nutrients. So it's not that everybody has to be really concerned about it. If you've been struggling with infertility for some time and you're really struggling to get to the bottom of it, there's no reason why you can't have a, have a test to determine that. But a good link can be is because celiac disease is an autoimmune condition. So if you have any other autoimmune conditions, such as, you know, type one diabetes, for example, you know, there's lots of them, that could be an interesting one for you to explore. But the link with endometriosis, so it's not directly linked to fertility, but there have been a couple of studies that have shown that ladies with endometriosis who have followed um, a gluten-free diet have had significant improvement in their levels of pain. So it's more in terms of that condition management. In terms of PCOS, again, I don't routinely recommend a gluten-free diet for this. Some people anecdotally say that a gluten-free diet supports them and really helps them in their, you know, in their PCOS management. And if that's the case, um, you know, I'm happy to support them, but it wouldn't be first line advice for me if somebody had PCOS to advise a gluten-free diet. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I do sometimes have ladies who, with PCOS who say that actually when they eat gluten, they really do feel bloated. But certainly, I, I'm the same as you. I, I think it's an important part of, of the diet as long as it doesn't need to be removed from the diet. I think it's an yeah. important component. When we talk, often we're talking, you know, now we're talking about diet and, and individuals. We, we often talk about the benefits of losing weight, don't we, for fertility? 
but you also support women on gaining weight for healthy fertility. Can you just explain a little bit more about how you do that? Yeah, because I think it's a really important one. And I I feel that people, uh, you know, a lot of the messaging around weight is to help people to lose weight. But also, you know, that the, there is a group of people who are really trying really hard to gain weight and not not having much success. And when we look at, you know, a, an ideal weight in terms of fertility, um, you know, NICE guidelines, which are the sort of UK clinical guidelines, they recommend having a BMI, so a body mass index of between 19 and 30. So, you know, we, we often focus on that higher end of the BMI, but it's really important to focus on the on the lower end as well, because having a low BMI, it can lead to irregular cycles, lack of ovulation. And without that regularity, you know, it can make conception obviously very difficult. So when we're when we're looking to increase weight, we can look at it from a diet and and sort of like an activity perspective as well. But if we're to look at the dietary perspective, we can do this quite healthily because there's, you know, quite a lot of foods that are higher in calories but are still protective when it comes to fertility. So for example, like extra virgin olive oil, uh, nuts, seeds, avocados. There's lots of things that we can increase in there. And even, you know, like your, your full fat dairy, for example. So there are things that we can do without compromising anybody's nutritional status, but to increase their calorie intake. And even, you know, sorry, I'm on a roll. Um, no, no, no. Even, You're it's so good to hear. It's so good to hear, though. Yeah, it's great. It's, even from the activity perspective, because I've got a client at the moment, and just in terms of her activity, she was doing quite a lot of activity at, at a higher intensity. And just by, she continued to do the same amount, but she just lowered the intensity and she started to ovulate just from that one change. Yeah, yeah which is great, isn't it? And you mentioned briefly there dairy, and that's another one as well. Certainly when it comes to PCOS, I get asked a lot. And I'm such a big fan of dairy and I really don't want yeah. people not to eat dairy unless, I tend to say, and I'd be interested in your kind of views, but I tend to say, you know, if you're suffering from acne and you find that your acne may be made worse by dairy, then perhaps it's a good one to maybe reduce or to cut out but I just think it's such a great source of protein that I just really want women to to have that and not feel that they're depriving themselves of so much. Yeah I agree and then also you know in terms of calcium as well because even though calcium may not be linked to fertility so much it's linked to just preconception in in, in general um, you know just healthy preconception nutrition so similar to UK, I wouldn't recommend cutting out dairy for unless there was a real reason to do so, you know, whether it be allergy or, or intolerance or certain symptoms, as you say, like, like acne, for example. Some people obviously are vegan and choose, choose a, a plant-based approach. So they're not going to be having dairy and that's, and that's absolutely fine. But what you just want to ensure is that when you are substituting that, because we still need to ensure that we get the calcium you're substituting it for a plant-based alternative that, that contains calcium. And also another important nutrient is iodine as well. There are some good plant-based milks out there that, that are fortified with both calcium and iodine. So do ensure that you, that you go for those options. So with what you've both been talking about, the importance of dairy, and you've given a little bit of insight there if people are following a vegan diet, what what do you say then if people are listening thinking oh goodness is that what's causing me problems with my my fertility struggles because i am following a vegan diet so it's completely possible to to have absolutely no issues in terms of nutritional status or fertility 
if you're following a vegan diet correctly. It's quite a complex one nutritionally because obviously, you know, we're cutting out all meat, all fish, dairy, eggs, and there are a lot of important nutrients in there. So I I really actually would encourage people to have a review with kind of like a dietitian or a nutritionist if if you are vegan and either you're looking you know you're trying to conceive or you're having issues issues with fertility I I think whatever reason I think it's always good to get this checked out because there's a lot of important nutrients to include uh, vitamin b12 that we only find in animal products there's some foods that are fortified with vitamin b12 that we can look out for but a deficiency isn't that marmite Things like Marmite, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. A nutritional yeast, you can get plant-based milks. So there's a few different things, but you you have to pay a lot of attention to to ensure that you get that. So most people end up having a a B12 supplement, which is probably recommended. But other nutrients, omega-3 and other things to think about, say like zinc, selenium, choline, iron, you know, you find a lot of these in in, in animal-based foods. So it is important just to ensure that you've got that covered, but it's absolutely possible to do so. Sometimes you just may require a supplement. Thank you. Throughout there, we've talked about some of the things that people should do, some of the things that we would advise against doing. Are there any other common mistakes that people can make when they're thinking about their fertility nutrition? I think one mistake that I do see, and I completely understand where it comes from, is kind of you know extreme dieting to achieve weight loss because a lot of people are told to you know you have to be this certain BMI to be able to access treatment or to enhance your chances and you know people can be you know really quite desperate to get to that goal and you know the kind of like the extreme dieting of the very low calorie diet you know on paper that's going to get you there quicker but there's been research shown that people that do follow these more restrictive diets, they don't necessarily get the best outcomes. So, you know, when looking at weight, it's doing it in a really holistic way, trying to focus more on, on the foods, um, not doing anything overly restrictive because we just don't want to, we don't want to imbalance any hormones and we don't want to get inferior outcomes as a result. Sure. And I know from conversations I've had with people that they just feel so depressed because they've taken all of this stuff out of their diet and it's making them just miserable. And then if they don't get the results that they're expecting and they've taken so much away that was bringing them joy, because ultimately we want people to have, especially when we're talking in a pandemic, where one of the few things we can do that we enjoy is to eat. (laughs) Is eat. (laughs) Eat within yeah. reason there and obviously to think it through and, and you know, you've you've given such brilliant advice there. But I do hear so often about people taking so much out of their diets. Yeah, and as well, I, I have a I have a lady who's on my course at the moment and she said that, you know, when she came to course, she kinda of like had a light bulb moment because she'd been cutting out things like oil and nuts because they're high in calories. But actually, you know, now she understands the reason behind them she started to include these in her diet, you know, in, in sensible quantities, but look to, to other things that, that she can maybe, you know, remove or adjust. And she's, she's losing weight really, really nicely. Great. And, and so with that thought, if people are following one of the more mainstream diets where we know some of those things you've talked about are considered sinful or what have you, and that's kind of sometimes people's motivation for taking them out, is it fair to say that they can be reintroduced and it's not like it's permanent damage that's been done? It's just having that awareness and knowing how to reintroduce. 
oh yeah absolutely no it's it's unlikely to do any permanent damage at all you know because when we were saying about that you know that that 100 day period yeah. for example and it's a similar thing with with sperm health and sperm parameters as well things can be changed relatively quickly and then it's just you know ensuring that we continually incorporate that so yeah so so don't worry if you've been excluding them you know as as with my client at the moment she's she's reintroduced them and is getting on with things really well well, there's brilliant stuff there, Rowan. We'll, we'll obviously put links to you and that online course that you mentioned for people to find out. Because I think when you sometimes hear all of this, especially if you've been doing something completely different, you can feel a bit overwhelmed. But yeah. it's just that starting point, isn't it? To have a good awareness of how much you can do with food. Exactly. And I think that's exactly it. It's seeing it as an opportunity because, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in fertility that we can't control, but there are some things that we can control and, and diet is one of them. And yes, we've spoken about a, a, a wider array of things here. But, you know, if if you know, if I'm speak to somebody individually, we really home in on what's important to you and then just creating easily you know, followed steps so that they can then achieve their goals. And Ro, as you know, you are absolutely my go-to person when I need <laughs> advice and you're brilliant at sending me great links to resources in a very, at the very last minute when I need them. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> and, you know, I recommend you to all my patients because you have just got so much knowledge, which obviously we've heard about today, haven't we, Natalie? All, all this, I feel like a sponge sucking it up all the information <laughs> that you've given us. So thank you. And definitely I would recommend anybody, you know, checking you out because you provide such valuable information and advice. That's very kind. Thank you. We will join Ro again later in this series because we're going to pick her brains on how to best prepare for IVF. And I'm curious to know how you feel about certain food myths that do the rounds when people are talking about various stages of their mm -hmm. cycle, yeah. their IVF cycle, that is, not their menstrual cycle. So, Ro, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thank you both so much. Ask the expert. 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 This is a question about a lady who's taking Zeta West supplement. She's asking how effective are these? She finds them quite pricey. And is this just an added expense that perhaps isn't necessary? And also has a question on diet. She ha has a healthy Mediterranean diet, but she sees a lot of people eating only organic. Should she do this? She can't do it all the time. What's your thoughts? I think Zeta supplements are as good a brand as any, and, and she's put together a good range. I think the question really is the benefit of supplements in general. There's a lot of us that are going to be deficient in some vitamins, for example, vitamin D, uh, especially with our, with our awful climate. Thereafter, how much benefit these supplements do is really questionable. How much benefit any particular fatty diet, be it organic, be it anything else, really does it. Again, is, is the data is very limited. And I think we have to be careful for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because they are expensive. Secondly, because you know we don't want people to be led down a particular path that they become slightly understandably drawn to, to this, this is my problem. If I fix this, I'll get pregnant. And realistically, it won't. Fine margins, the little variables are important, but it's really unlikely that any particular supplements or any particular diet are going to be the key. So it's important that people don't beat themselves up about these things. Yeah, it's definitely something that in the coaching work that I do, we kind of we, we talk through the different things people are doing because there's often conversations about people feeling like they're rattling when they're walking. And it's, and, and, and it's interesting because, you know, as you guys may know, that the CMA are putting out a big document this year yes. uh, to ensure that clinics are... You know, and the vast majority of us do make sure clinics are giving the right information, mm. you know, making sure people understand costings and making sure we all do the right thing. And interestingly, reading the draft, one of the things they say is an example of bad practice 
is recommending a referral to a nutritionist or recommending various supplements without a good evidence base. So we have to we have to be aware that these that whatever we say has to be backed by some evidence. Mm, I completely agree. Ask the expert. 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 So make sure you've subscribed for when we do rejoin Roe to talk about what you can eat when you're getting ready if you are going to be starting fertility treatment and foods and things to think about during your cycle. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more info about Roe and those links to our previous nutrition chats. Plus, come and join our closed Facebook group. Just search for The Fertility Podcast on Facebook where we continue the chat. Plus, you can get in touch on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy and Kate is at Your Fertility Journey. And we're going to be hosting weekly Insta Lives, also answering your questions. So until the next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.